Hey, everyone. I'm so excited to announce that the Stairway to CEO podcast has joined forces with Future Commerce, the number one podcast in e-commerce. We're combining forces to bring you the most insightful and relevant content in the world of tech and entrepreneurship. We're launching new content every week starting in July, and I don't want you to miss it. So subscribe to Stairway to CEO right now on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and let's take your business to the next level. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Stairway to CEO podcast brought to you by Future Commerce. I'm your host, Lee Green, and it's my mission to bring you a real, honest and unfiltered interview with top business leaders from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 15 of the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Lee Green, and today I sat down with Luke Peters, the founder and CEO of New Air. New Air makes unique appliances that make your life more fun. Think wine coolers, beer coolers, ice makers, along with a bunch of other heating and cooling products. In this episode, Luke shares with us how he started the company with his wife out of their garage 19 years ago and grew the business to become America's most trusted brand in compact appliances. We hope you enjoy this episode. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review. You can also reach out to us at hello at stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. Luke, it's so wonderful having you on the Stairway to CEO podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Lee. Excited to be here. I, you know, we met actually, what, last year, I think at Etail West. Yeah, or maybe, or actually a year before. So it's been, been a while. Oh my gosh. Yeah, been two years. Last year was Etail West and literally right after that COVID lockdown happened. It was like the right. last great show. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm really excited to dive in and hear your story from A to Z. Um, so let's start from the very beginning. Where are you from? Let's talk about your childhood a little bit. Yeah, I grew up in Southern California, Fountain Valley, um, which is in Orange County, a couple miles from the beach. And uh, just grew up in a big house, a lot of brothers and sisters, a lot of friends on the block. It was, it was really a, a fun time to grow up. Were you an entrepreneur as a kid? Did you have any signs early on that you might start a business one day? So our family, we always worked hard. Um, you know, we didn't have anything really. So we were kind of like, you know, didn't, didn't have any extra spending money. And my parents moved out from Ohio and started a donut shop. So they were working. My dad was, you know, running the donut shop and us kids were st working in the donut shop. So I'd go in there when I was like 10 years old and I'd work graveyard. Or if I wasn't doing that, we had paper routes. So we were always doing work, um, learned a you know, good hard work ethic in between complaining about all those things. And uh, I think that's kind of where it started. So you said you're from California. Where in California and how long were you there? Yeah, no, grew up in Fountain Valley, California. And so I was there. I mean, I still live in Orange County, a couple miles away and uh, in Huntington Beach. But um, yeah, just always stayed in this area. Cool. And so did you go to college? 
went to Long Beach. Actually, I, I joke around that I have a, um, a PhD from Orange Coast Community College. It's uh, I was there way too long after high school. And then I, <laughs> I, I, I which is great, because, you know, I studied a lot of useful things that, you know, that I just found fun, but I didn't have any direction. And then finally went to um, Long Beach State and got a degree in microbiology. Right. So in school, it sounds like you took a while. What, what took so long? Well, so after high school, I, I did spend a um, decent amount of time surfing, went to Mexico a lot. So I was just doing, and I had a, I had a um, pool business that I started. Okay. So I was, it was servicing swimming pools, probably had like 50 accounts or so. It was, and it pays good when you have your own business like that. And it's also very flexible. You, know, you can kind of set your schedule how you want. You work in a tank top and flip-flops. And yeah, so I did that during college and um, actually paid for all my college that way. Wow. And uh, I just went slow just because I just didn't have a lot of direction behind me. Um, I definitely was interested in learning. So I studied a lot of the sciences and Orange Coast College is a great community college, but you're only supposed to be there for two years. <laughs> I was probably there like four years or something like that. Nice. And so you had this pool business. How far did you take that um, after school? What did you end up doing? Oh, uh, yeah. So right after, so I graduated, um, you know, in microbiology, went and got a job. So I interviewed a couple different jobs and I, and I ended up getting this um, position as a hazardous waste scientist, okay, with the Department of Toxic Substances Control. So that was, my first, that was my first real job. And, um, and when I got that, I ended up selling the pool business to my buddy. So I think, yeah, I think it was, you know, one of those back of the napkin in a bar and yeah. uh, <laughs> sign here, sign here. And, and he's still running it today. So it's uh Whoa, you know, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's called pool heaven. So anybody in Orange County, you need a pool service, go to my buddy, Mark, and he's got a great business. Like your first acquisition. It was. Yeah. That, that was <laughs> yeah, my first exit. <laughs> exit. Exactly. <laughs> Fun. That's funny. So you were, you know, majored in microbiology and you have this crazy job that sounds very dangerous, hazardous waste. Can you talk a little bit about what that was like? Well, no, it was, it, it was, you know, the department is set up to do good, you know, make sure the groundwater is clean. So if anybody who has watched Aaron Brockovich, um, it's a cool movie. Um, it details like Chrome six contamination out in the desert. That's what I was working on. So we were working on, groundwater contamination. Usually, um, I actually had a job or I, I was working with PG&E on a very similar case to the, the, the Brockovich story, just at a different location. So that was pretty exciting to be doing, you know, good stuff. The negative is you're working for the government and it really is everything gets wrapped up to be, um, stuff just moves slow. Um, definitely good intentions, but, um, too kind of bureaucratic for me, let's put it that way. So did you learn that there being like working for someone else, even the government's just not for me or? Yeah, I'm always, I'm, I'm a person of my own mind, I guess, you know, when I have my mindset, I, I just want to do it that way. And, um, you know, even from an early age, I'm sure I was a pain to my parents. And, and so government was, it was secure, but, um, I'll tell, I tell folks, you know, especially younger people, security isn't always a great thing, you know, because it, what it does is you kind of get in your comfort zone. You don't grow, you don't challenge yourself. You don't, you know, learn new things. Um, I mean, there's a lot of positives actually to having a job that is quote unquote stressful, you know, but another way to say it is that it pushes you. Right. And um, so they're doing good work, but it wasn't for me. It was, you know, you can kind of visualize what I'm talking about. 
Exactly. So did you leave to start something else or what did you end up doing from there? Yeah. So I was there a couple of years and, um, what happened was my little brother was, so I was driving from Huntington beach up to Glendale, which is like on the other side of LA in a little stick shift Toyota truck. And, you know, and it's like survival on the five freeway every day. And if you take the 710, it's even more of a survival chore, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a lot of driving. And eventually the, the office got moved down a little bit closer. But the point is like, I was doing that. My little brother never went to college and he starts this online business and he's driving this sports car. And I'm like thinking like, man, I'm here. where did I mess up? Yeah. What are, what are you doing? Steve? And, and I'm over here in this little truck. And uh, this thing's like rattling on the freeway. And, and um, you know, he it was selling stuff online. So he created his own business. Um, you know, young entrepreneur had a business partner. And, you know, they were figuring out SEO. And at the time, Yahoo stores was a big thing is like that. That was like the Shopify of the day, in a sense. And uh, they were doing really good. So I so I just learned more about that just burn the midnight oil. And I would what I did is I basically worked a little bit for him, kind of learned the business a bit, and then continue with my job. And then every night with my wife, started the business. So we just built the website, I learned some HTML. Back then, you would kind of write things, you'd either like write in HTML, or you use a program called like front page or Dreamweaver. And um, that was before you know, all the cool tools we have now. And that's how I started everything. And so that's what started which business? So that's what started right now, New Air, which back then, had, hey. we've had a few different iterations, but that's the current day New Air. Amazing. And so tell me, like, what was the first product that you ended up, you know, launching? What, tell us about the early days of starting New Air. Yeah. So, the, and that's actually, it's a good question because it's, it's interesting. So how it started was I, I just didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to do something. And I was searching and I knew a little bit about SEO. So I was looking on the Yahoo front page and at the bottom of the front page, they would list the highest search terms. And this was in the summertime. And the number three term was portable air conditioner. And I go, well, I better, I should find out how to sell some of those. So I started calling around different folks. Um, One of them, they ended up being great friends of mine. I've known them years and traveled with them. And that's um, Solius, which is uh, MJC America. So they're a local brand distributor. And I started selling their portable air conditioners. And and at the same time, I called up Granger, which a lot of folks may know is a big industrial supplier, kind of like a Home Depot for, for industry. And uh, I started selling right out of the Granger catalog. And I had no idea. I didn't have any business education. You know, I knew how to work hard, but I didn't even know you know, basic terminology, like POs and everything. I'm just like, Hey, you know, can I get a discount on your stuff? <laughs> and So they gave me a discount and I would just listed their products online at the time. They had zero online presence and I would get sales and I would literally order it that day, go pick it up or even my wife would pick it up, wrap, ship it out, wrap it up and ship it out. And that's how the business started. Wow. So it was kind of off of sales, basically. You were you just like dove into being kind of the sales person for these air conditioners. Yeah. Yeah. And also all these different products on Granger. So they have a huge, you know, catalog. Like back then, before it was online, you know, they would give you this massive, you know, two, three inch thick catalog with all their products. And so we just started listing those. And, and uh, I mean, this is 2001, 2002. So it's after the dot-com bust, there's a bit of a vacuum. Um, if you're, if someone's selling electronics, there's competition. If, you know, where we 
hit like kind of a little bit of a blue ocean at the time, at least because um, they're like the contractors weren't doing anything online. So a lot of this industrial equipment or, you know, anything on the Granger that you, people can think about that's on Granger, like that kind of stuff wasn't being sold very much online, at least. So it was a good spot to get into at the time. That's incredible. So how far, what happened kind of after that, you built the team. I know you, you mentioned that you didn't raise any funding for this right. at all. So you really bootstrapped this and ran with it. So what was it like? How much, you know, how many people did you bring on to do what? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it grew quick. Um, so after probably six months, I was able to um, leave the job so I could work full-time on the business. And, you know, I remember we moved into a house we were at the time, it was, it's a crazy story because we were living in a condo and then um, we bought this house and the folks that sold it to us, they needed time to move out, but we had sold our condo. So we had to move in with my mom. So I'm in, I'm in <laughs> with my parents. Okay. And, and working out of their garage actually. And then eventually into my own garage, I was working out of their, out of their house uh, with, you know, wife, kids. And, wow. and then eventually moved into our house and I fix up the garage and I'm like, Oh man, this is all I'm going to need. This garage is huge. I'm like putting all these electrical connections in there. You know, we, we had a couple of people working and there, and I got skylights and I'm like, Oh, this thing's mad. I'll never outgrow this. And in like right. three months, you know, we had to go get an office building. <laughs> so it, it's a, it's a funny story of, of a typical, you know, entrepreneur when you're younger, sometimes you don't think as you know, far enough into the future. You're just, you just don't, you've, you've never seen what things can become, so you're, you don't think big enough. Hey, real quick, I wanted to tell you a little bit about Future Commerce Insiders. Insiders is a weekly newsletter that brings you the information you need at the intersection of technology, entrepreneurship, and commerce. If you're a tech founder or an operator at an e-commerce brand, Insiders is purpose-built just for you. Commerce connects all of us, and entrepreneurship gives anyone the opportunity for economic advancement. So, commerce entrepreneurship has the ability to change the world. Want to join us? Do it right now at futurecommerce.fm. That's futurecommerce.fm. What are some ways that looking back, some things that you learned along the way on the, in the early days that helped create you into the leader you are today? I mean, so many things. It, it, you know, it's easy to look back and say, you know, you would do these things. And, and I definitely would. I'm not the kind of person that says, oh, you know, I, I wouldn't make any changes. I mean, I absolutely would make changes because I've made plenty of mistakes, right? <laughs> so I think it'd be crazy not to. But um, some of them are hard. Like, you know, for example, like a, one example, you really do, when you hire great people, it's probably the best thing that you can do for your business. And so, you know, we can all say, wow, I wish I, you know, invested more in that early on. And I, and I definitely could have myself, but also you got to be making a certain amount of money to attract certain people too. So it right. goes, you know what I mean? There's, so there's definitely, um, I think many times along the way, like an example like that or different investments into software with the company, like right now we're on a, we're on NetSuite ERP, which is an amazing ERP. I should have done it years ago and I didn't. So yeah. those are things that I know now because I'm on the back end, um, but it took an amazing team to implement that ERP. And I didn't have that team five years ago. So you can always go back and look, but I would say um, most future investments, I probably waited too long. 
you know, so that that's, that's like the overall thing, you know, whether it's in mm-hmm. people systems and all of those things. And so, you know, just with that knowledge, thinking to the future, you know, I can be quicker to make those decisions. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned mistakes. I'd love to hear what are some of the biggest mistakes or failures you may have had? And, and how, what did you learn from those? Um, well, I mean, so many, sometimes you learn a lot from mistakes. Sometimes they're really hard not to repeat them because some of the mistakes are like, if you bring on the wrong person, you can then write new rules and say, okay, we're going to go check for this, this, and this, but that doesn't, you know, there, there's, um, there's no way of fully correcting for some of them. Other ones might be bringing in the wrong SKUs, investing in the wrong categories. Usually I'm, um, I'm like, I'm pretty quick to make a decision. That's one thing I think is, is a good quality, but also um, that'll, you know, create mistakes, whether it's usually it has to do with like, it'll be like inventory investments or new product category investments. So you'll get, you know, you'll get some extra excess inventory that you got to deal with. But without that, you know, maybe we wouldn't have gotten into certain categories. Um, so things like that. Interesting. And so how have you kind of expanded the business? I know you have, I've been to your warehouse once. It was, it was wild. You have so many products in there. It was just really impressive. How many SKUs categories? Can you talk to us about what the business looks like today? Yeah, sure. So, um, so we're in about 120,000 square feet. We only have about 150 SKUs though. So we're pretty, um, dialed into, you know, focus on the key products. And then we were really um, strong leaders in, in wine, beer coolers, ice makers, and then some heating and cooling products um, and a bunch of other miscellaneous products. But those are like the core for the company. So where we're going now is we're, we're, um, we have an incredible product roadmap, again, led by a, an amazing team that I have. So that helps. Yeah. And they're driving it. And so we got a really great product roadmap that's... Um, going to take us into more innovation. Let's put it that way, Lee. <laughs> it's like more, more IP, more innovation in the product. So anybody that's in um, hard goods or CPG, you know, there's obviously you can buy stuff OEM and, or you can innovate and then there's stuff in between, right? And um, when you're innovating, you know, it's expensive. And, um, but that's the direction we're going. Also, we want to diversify um, our supply chain. So right now we think it's a good time to be um, diversified and, you know, have a, um, sourcing presence in, in multiple countries. Amazing. So are you kind of, are you hinting that you're creating an R and D lab basically for creating products or what? Not, not that, not that yet, not yet, but definitely going, get, get, definitely getting involved with capabilities that'll allow us to do more of that because we have a lot of great ideas. Um, we just launched a crushed ice maker and in Nugget Ice Maker, which is, you know, a couple years in the making. Um, it's an amazing product and um, it's gotten just really great reception with a lot of our customers. So those are the types of products that, you know, folks don't see every day and they're more special and they're more defensible. And frankly, they're more fun too, because you get a, you know, there's a story behind each of those products. So what's the story behind the uh, ice crusher? <laughs> there's, there's so many, I mean, there's two years of, of, um, engineering, two years of, um, design. And then whenever something like that comes to testing, you immediately find all kinds of mistakes, you know, and then you got to go back and fix those mistakes, you know, whether, 
Um, this version was to it, it was so we we went in and there there's other models in the areas you know in in this category not a lot but there's there's a couple challengers right and so we knew you know we surveyed what the customer wanted and they want it to be colder and they want a little bit more capacity and they want um, you know more storage but also more output so those are the things you know we focus on those things and a few other capabilities that the customer is really going to um, enjoy with this product and we designed a really cool look but still the mechanism inside that creates the ice um, had to go through many iterations, you know, cause maybe it was too noisy or the ice wasn't just right. And so there's, it, it, you know, there's so much behind it that goes into it at the end of the day, you know, the customer receives this product and hopefully they're really satisfied with it. But um, behind it, there's always a story of like all the changes and iterations that have to happen. Exactly. What actually on that topic, tell us about one of your most challenging moments and how you became it. Maybe it has to do with launching one of these new products that something set you back or what was one a really big challenge that you faced over the past couple of years in building new air? Yeah. I mean, there, there's a couple of them. I would say, um, I'll, I'll just quickly say two of them. So one of them would be the tariffs, you know, that, and that, that recently happened and we've, my team's done a great job of kind of, um, overcoming that in a lot of ways, you know, working around it. And like I said, we're diversifying our supply chain and we have a, a solid plan for it and also have really close ties with our suppliers. So what happened was obviously when you get a 25% tariff, your customers, you can't immediately pass that on. In some cases you can't pass it on at all. So it's really, really tough for a lot of brands. Um, and uh, it creates a really, it took, created a really, really challenging year of, you know, obviously you're going to get hit on the gross margin side. But what it forces you to do though, is then look at your supply chain, look at your relationships and evaluate all of it and evaluate your whole cost structure on, on bringing a product here and everything that's involved in. And what it just made us a much better company. Um, we're better all around. We've in, through that same year, we also basically overhauled all of our operations, brought in a whole new system um, visited our suppliers multiple, multiple times and um, expanded our supply chain. So that's um, start to finish on that. It, it's a big deal. And we're really just kind of on the other end of it right now. And then I would say the other challenge is, is like all companies are going to, not all, but I mean, um, you know, I mean, I guess if the entrepreneur is a lot of foresight, they don't have to deal with this, but a lot of companies will go through growing pains. Okay. And we've definitely had those. And, um, you know, there's a lot of books that talk about, when you are under say 30 employees, like for our type of business, and then kind of getting over that hump, the company really changes. And sometimes the team you had then isn't going to be the team to take you to that the spot you need to get to. So the, the whole company really has to change and go through a transformation. And we had to do that as well. And it was tough, you know, it was, it was uh, like a couple years of big changes at the company and, and bringing in different folks and at the same time, we moved into this bigger building from a building that was only like 35,000 square feet. So, um, you know, and then when we moved in here, stuff wasn't shipping because, of, you know, all the systems had to be wired properly and they weren't working right and weren't receiving the orders. So it, it created and this back in like, say, 2015. And uh, anyways, the, the, the point there is just for entrepreneurs to be thinking about that, you know, maybe if they are 20, to really be planning like you know when when is your company going to turn from seeing adolescent to an adult <laughs> that's kind of yeah. like the, the phrase i'll use on that and so what would you suggest for they think about in terms of if they are in that growth phase right now what should they be looking through and, and figuring out or thinking about 
Yeah. A couple of things is um, building systems for sure. And starting to build leaders as, as best they can. And some companies can, depends on the type of company, right? When you're talking about 30 people, like, you know, um, a wholesale company is going to be different than a, you know, SaaS company, let's put it that way. But the thing is, is building in that leadership so that you don't just hit a wall, which some companies can definitely do. Um, they can, you know, because then they haven't built those competencies into their team. So that's the main thing is it's people and processes right there. Yeah, I think that actually that's one of the biggest things that, um, you know, entrepreneurs overlook as they're growing their team is the, I mean, it's just so important to have the right leadership team in place early on. And like you were saying, it's expensive to do that. So it's really hard to prioritize that when you want to be spending your money on other things in the business, but really to have key leaders in place so that they can start building their teams and managing those teams and, and scaling those processes is so important early on. Because when you don't have that, you end up doing it yourself which may, you're probably not equipped to do as a founder, right? With everything else you have to do for the business. So it's really important to think about those leadership roles. So how did you go about, you know, filling these leadership positions? Um, and what was that journey like for you in hiring? Because hiring that type of person is different than hiring, you know, maybe an entry level person as well. Yeah, it is. And, and it's, um, I'm, well, the, the thing is backing up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I've got a great group of friends in, in a great um, I'm in a really good CEO group and I've got a bunch of other CEO friends. So having a network is huge because um, sometimes as an entrepreneur, it just depends where you come from. You know, if somebody has more of a business background, then a lot of this stuff won't be new. Like I didn't have a finance background. I, I, I knew numbers really well, but I didn't understand. Of course, I know this now, but I'm saying I didn't have a formal finance um, background, which I think is like, would be super, super helpful for any entrepreneur. So anyways, the point I'm saying is like, as when you're, when you're working and negotiating, say, um, an employment contract with a higher level person, there's a lot of considerations to take into, take into account. And if you don't have that experience, you're probably not going to attract the right people because you're just not going to sound appealing to them. Let's put it that way. Folks like that have choices. So I think, um, having good guidance and, you know, great group of friends and mentors, um, help me and definitely would advise, you know, everybody grab onto some good mentors. So how did you learn to become more appealing in order to attract those kind of leaders to work at your company? Uh, man, so, you know, I had to put on the charm. <laughs> <laughs> now it's, uh, yeah, you know what that, so what we did is, well, first of all, you just have to become a fun company, hopefully. So, so, so people, when you're looking for your best leaders, they're going to want to do things their way. And I have a tendency to want to ask a lot of questions. And so I got to remember how that is, and it's, and I do it in a way of out of curiosity, but some people can take it the wrong way. So you got to kind of know thyself, right? That that's a good yeah. phrase. And, um, and I know that, okay, I can ask a lot of questions and sometimes I'm going to come off the wrong way. I can't change myself. I'm always going to ask a lot of questions, but maybe I can warn them, say, Hey, this is just my style. Right. And most people in, in leadership are going to want to do things um, their way. Like they're going to obviously conform to what the, say the company goals are and so on and so forth, but they've been there, done that. You bring them on not to tell them how to do everything. That's their job. And then you can just measure and set up the goals. So to your question, it was kind of creating that culture and we, we did work on it. Um, we won, um, I think it was like third place, Orange County Register, best places to work in 2019. So those were 
Um, funny you ask, because actually a couple years prior, I got a great director of HR and I, and you know, she's working all different things. And I, and, but I said, Jen, we need to win a best place to work award because you know, not only is it good for marketing, but truly we need to be a best place to work because otherwise we can't attract the best people. And uh, so that was fun to get that award. It was like, you know, it took a couple of years to really change the culture and put things in place and um, kind of get to that level where we could win that award. That's amazing. Congratulations. It's, it's definitely not easy to be changing culture. So <laughs> yep. Yep. kudos to you. Um, shifting gears a little bit to marketing strategies, you know, you and I have talked about influencer marketing quite a bit, um, but I would love to know um, and share with our audience uh, some key marketing strategies that have helped lead to uh, the success of New Air. Yeah, and I, I love influencer marketing and, and uh, you know, Alex, our good friend, he's got a great business kind of centered around that, right? Yeah. And so we do it a little different. Like, you know, I'm focused on um, not necessarily sales ROI, but I'm focused on SEO. So we're doing a lot of it. We are definitely doing some Instagram, but a lot of it YouTube focused, a lot of it with search engine goals in mind. And also, you know, just because, you know, marketing 101 is I think the message is more powerful when someone else says it rather than we're kind of tooting our own horn. So we're doing it for content creation and those types of purposes. So I would say like from a marketing level, what I think we've done a good job at is so one, one goal that we had was that we're going to be number one in our category in product content. And so we, we put up a bunch of competitors that we're going against across the different channels that we're, we're getting our products on. And we were going to be number one. And we kind of scoped out what number one meant. You know, it meant the best lifestyle images with these certain attributes. It meant the best um, keyword research and title research into every single um, product that we launched so that it's kind of hitting the right audience that we want to go after. Because some of these keywords can be totally taken for granted. And there can be different versions and, and you know, singular, plural, or, or different ways to say something. So we want to, I want to have the team doing that. And, you know, at first, the marketing teams don't always have all of these skill sets, you know, they might be great at this type of ideation, but they don't really see an interest in SEO, or they're not thinking about the creative side. So it really does take, um, you know, marketing overall, you know, it's just social, but it's also thinking about SEO and organic ranks and how you're going to rank on your retailers if you are selling through channels. So that, that's the way we have to do it. We're, you know, we sell D to C, but we also sell through, you know, Home Depot, Lowe's and all of those guys and, and, and have to understand their search algorithms. And we take all of that into account. So you, you sell into so many of these amazing retailers. Can you talk about what it's like to try to sell to retailers like Lowe's? Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I like it. Well, how about this? It's everybody. So if you're a company that has a high lifetime value and a high, high repeat customer rate, then you're probably great to focus on direct to consumer. You definitely want to sell on these other channels. But in a lot of a lot of businesses, like let's face it, our repeat order rate is not super high because there's another company called Amazon that's like everybody wants to go to. And over time, Amazon, Home Depot, Target, they've all won the organic search competition. And most brands sell in a specific category. So that customer may only need that once a year, even if less than once a year or a couple times a year. So you're not getting a, a high repeat order case. Okay? And the reason I say that is because as a direct consumer brand, you can end up spending a lot on advertising when you're having to pay every single time to get a new customer. 
you see. And then, but for like a SaaS company, you know, they're paying once and, they're, and they got a big LTV. It's a totally different math equation. So what I like about selling into these retailers is, you know, they're, they're advertising for you. They're branding for you. You're all over the web when you're selling into these guys. And, um, they have a lot of brand strength and, um, you know, when you're, you also gain a lot of credibility when, you, when you're selling with some of them because they're very um, particular on who they work with. So it's, it's, it's been a game changer for us. So how does that sales process work? Like how does one, if, if there's an entrepreneur out there who wants to be selling into Home Depot or Lowe's, what advice do you have for them to try to get into those doors? Yeah, well, first is build your brand. Um, they're picky, they're merchants. Uh, they are totally different than Amazon. It's, it's a, you know, Amazon, anybody can list on Amazon, right? And it's kind of same thing with eBay. Um, obviously Amazon have certain rules, but it's, it's, it's really, really wide open. And so it's, let's call that an unlimited shelf. And then, you know, the, the rest of them are expanding their shelf, but it's still, there's approval processes that are set up. So the first thing is build a brand, be a brand that they want to add. And then you got to get in contact with the buyer and the buyer is going to, you know, review your brand and you're probably gonna have to create a pitch deck for them. And, um, if you've done the work and created a solid brand and can show the numbers that you're going to add value, they'll add you. And if not, you probably get ignored. So that's, <laughs> that's how buyers are. Buyers like to ignore. So build relationships, build your brand. Amazing. What is the sales cycle, I guess, from conversation? So let's say have a conversation with Home Depot and they, I'm going to send them the product, you know, next week or whatever. What's the process? How long does it take to get into the stores if they, let's say they like it? Yeah. So Good question. But, and also keep in mind, Lee, most of our business is online. So we're mostly dealing with the online channels and then we have some in-store. The in-store can be years to get in or it could be six months. It's just going to depend on the demand for your product. Um, And so generally, you're going to have to really build a case to get in-store. Now, of course, some, you know, venture funded, um, really, you know, high technology products or, or, really cool CPG products that they're going to want that have a, a key innovation are going to get in store quicker. And, um, and then usually they'll do a test. So you'll get in store, they'll run a test in a certain number of stores, you'll see how the test goes, and then they may roll you out to more stores after that. But it can take a long time or it can be, you know, pretty quick. Interesting. As you know, you know, being an entrepreneur really requires a lot of persistence. What's your why? and What keeps you going to work on this business so hard every day? The thing is, I always love, I love to solve problems. So I would say that's what keeps me going. My why, of course, you know, I'm working for my family, um, you know, got kids that I want to hopefully set a good example. And, and I think working hard is, it is, I mean, I look at, I look at my parents are both 80 years old, literally 80 years old working every single day. So that's my parents. Wow. So you have an example like that, um, you know, that makes you kind of want to do the same thing. And, and I think a good work ethics important. And after you do it for a while, it's funny, like if I have free time, I get bored quickly now. You know, I have to be doing something. <laughs> so it's kind of a, it becomes a curse later on, I guess. You know, I can't, I can't just like sit and watch TV. I just, so uh, yeah, it's funny when you have a, an empty day and, you've, and you're like looking around to fill. I got plenty of hobbies, but still. <laughs> Maybe this is a great segue into the podcast you have. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk about how you started your podcast and what inspired it and what's it about? Yeah, so the, the my podcast is called the Page One Podcast, and I'm interviewing other folks that are kind of in the hard goods CPG category. So this would be, you know, any, any listeners out there that have heard of the um, Houseware Show in Chicago, 
or the hardware show in, in um, Vegas. And, and, you know, you're thinking of things that are in Home Depot, Target, Walmart. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the types of uh, businesses, marketing folks, or business owners that we're interviewing. So it's pretty specific into that category and just understanding how they, you know, their sales expertise or maybe their marketing advice and, and just kind of their story to how they grew their brand. And I got into it just because, um, you know, I love these types of conversations and I wanted to network more in the industry. And so that was a good way to do it and meet a lot of new people. And I like content creation. So um, I just thought, hey, this is, you know, I, I always thought about writing a blog, but I'm like, I think this is actually more fun. You have the podcast, you can, you know, you get the show notes out of it and you, you get plenty of content and it's in a way where you're meeting other folks and networking. So it's great. Yeah. And, and learning a lot along the way. So um, that's awesome. So what's something you wish you would have known before you started a bit your business? So, you know, not something you would regret, but what's something you wish you would have known that could have been making life maybe a little easier? Yeah, no, it's a good question. You know, the thing that I'll go back to is I wish I would have built a, a good finance department sooner. And we have a great one right now. And I think, um, you know, I come from a marketing and sales like mindset. And so when you're marketing and sales, you just think of like accounting is, is an, it's an expense, basically. It's like, I just yeah. want to sell more stuff, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, why do I need all these systems? And, and, I, and I wish I wouldn't have, uh, say, trivialized it or thought that way. You know, that was just part of the journey of growing up and learning more and, and becoming, you know, a better, more well-rounded entrepreneur. But, um, you know, what comes out of it is you'll learn you know, at the beginning, you're focused on selling the next thing, building your top line, uh, launching innovative products. All of those things are great. But what accounting does, you know, is that it builds, it forces you to build systems and forces accountability into the company and makes you focus on the right numbers. Because the thing is, without that, you can come up with all these KPIs, but a lot of them are honestly not the right measurements. Okay. And then and so to finish it off, what I would say is I should have been focusing more on gross margin, you know, which is a number we're focused on now. And that wasn't a number, you know, we're focused on just the top and the bottom and not everything in between. And uh, it's just the journey of, you know, of a business owner, I think. Yeah, the journey of learning. Yeah. So speaking of which, how do you work to improve yourself so that you can best lead your company? Yeah, well, I... I always want to learn more. I always have an open mind, you know, to every perspective. Um, so I, I read a lot, um, a lot of business books, a lot of audible more lately, and uh, a lot of podcasts and, you know, go to different, what well, right now, a lot of webinars or, or different <laughs> zoom events, right? Cause everything's, yeah. everything is that way. And also just um, build a, you know, a team of friends and colleagues around me, uh, you know, that have more experience than myself. And so I think, those are good ways any entrepreneur can kind of, you know, work their way into those different areas. You mentioned books. Any um, great book recommendations you want to share? Yeah, there's, um, okay, I'm going to dig into my um, Audible here because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of person I'll read a book and I always forget like the name of the book and the authors, but I'm reading, uh, I'll give you a couple, okay? So one of them, nothing to do with business, but I'm reading the biography of George Washington by uh, Ron Chernow. It's a really long book. It is an amazing story. Anybody want to know about George, like the things that he did and, and just even before the revolution and, and uh, what he did as a general and as a president, that was pretty cool. Um, another book that I read was 
Okay, so Three Hag Way, which is a great book. Um, this is by uh, Shannon Susco. I interviewed her on my podcast. Um, she's a Canadian entrepreneur. She like founded and um, exited two significant businesses pretty quickly. So she's got an amazing system. Any entrepreneur looking for a, a system to run their business on, check out Three Hagway. It's really cool. And, and it's like my kind of thinking, like she's really, really detailed and specific about how she measures everything and what your company should be doing. It creates a ton, a ton of accountability. I didn't have, I read it like after we already had our plan put in this year, but it's uh, definitely something that uh, I'll look at to try to implement next year. That's awesome. We'll have to check out those books. Um, what kind of uh, qualities or characteristics do you think make up a strong entrepreneur? I think that, you know, being a founder has kind of been glamorized over the past couple of years, right? And I think that it's definitely not for everyone. So what would you say, you know, would make up what are good qualities that you think that people should look out for and say, hmm, I've got those things, maybe actually, I should make the big leap to starting my own company or by, you know, on the flip side, that's not me at all. Maybe I should not be doing this at all. Yeah, no, that, Lee, that is a great question and a good um, just takeaway that it has been kind of glorified. And uh, the thing is, like, when you're an entrepreneur, you're going to have to deal with a lot of anxiety and stress. So you, people have to be able to deal with that. Um, you're going to be put in uncomfortable positions. So, you know, you got to ask yourself, are, are you okay being uncomfortable? Um, I think my parents prepped me because I was, you know, flipping donuts when I was 10 years old in graveyard. So <laughs> I, was, I was put in uncomfortable positions. Uh, in the graveyard, yeah. you're freaking well, out. I mean, well, no, the graveyard shifts. So you just right. got, you call it graveyard shift. It's like twelve. You know, it's like one in the morning flipping donuts when you're when you're that age. So just being uncomfortable. You know, right now, you know, everything is comfort. You know, every car has got AC. I'm just, you know, I think younger people, younger folks, may not totally even know what I'm talking about. Like everything's at your fingertips now. And um, just being able to be uncomfortable, I think is actually important because, you know, life's not always that easy. And it's not when you're an entrepreneur. So having that and, uh, and then also having a lot of confidence. I think um, confidence is probably the most important thing. You got to make a lot of decisions. Your decisions aren't always going to be right. You just got to be cool with that. So I think not being afraid to make decisions usually means you, you got a lot of confidence in yourself. And, and uh, not everybody, by the way, has a lot of confidence when you're young. So I wouldn't rule yourself out if you don't feel that way. Confidence, honestly, a lot of it is just learn from repetition and doing something a lot. Mm -hmm. So don't rule yourself out, but that's an important skill to build towards. That's really interesting you say that because I do believe that if you have put yourself into or your parents put you into situations where you were uncomfortable from an early age, then you're probably more likely to, you know, go off and try something new um, and stumble along the way and be uncomfortable because you've been put in those seats early on. You mentioned stress, which is obviously a very big topic in the world of being an entrepreneur. How do you reduce stress? What do you do to keep it even a little bit. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I, and, and admittedly, like I, you know, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs are like this, but I'm, I'm in my head a lot. So I'm always mm -hmm. thinking about everything. Right. And, and it all falls on me, you know, to, to get things right. And so, you know, what I like to do is I like to exercise. So I like to surf. I like to mountain bike. Um, I have to do something pretty much every day. Um, if I don't do that, then I'm, I'll, I'll feel kind of like lazier off. So, you know, this morning I went for like a quick mountain bike ride, but I'm always, I always have to do something that's a good way to, 
to burn some energy and just feel good. Definitely. Um, it's always important to be able to have an outlet to blow some steam. <laughs> um, so in terms of CEO, you know, when you start a company early on, you you get slapped this title, CEO. What do you think being a CEO really means? Or as, you know, a team member, what are some qualities that make up a great leader CEO? What's expected? Yeah, you know, um, I think a lot of people can have different qualities, honestly. I, mm-hmm. I there definitely are some similarities, like you got to be a good leader and then you got to define what leadership means. And I think, uh, I think sometimes in the literature, that's, I think they focus in on just the CEOs that maybe have the strongest personalities. There's a lot of CEOs that don't have strong personalities, but they're great decision makers. And so I think you can do it a lot of different ways. That's why um, I'm a firm believer, like everybody should look into being an entrepreneur. Maybe it's not for everybody, but I think, you know, you don't have to be one type of person to be an entrepreneur. Um, So I think a CEO, probably the most important thing is being a good decision maker, being curious, having a very, very, very open mind about things because, you know, the more we know that we don't know things, the better. And that the, um, I think that's how the great, the best ideas come in. And just always looking, always just being, um, you know, just having that idea that you're always going to optimize and improve. Okay. Because in a business, you know, it's this complex machine and there's so many different areas where there's like low hanging fruit. And I think a lot of CEOs are good at that. You know, they're always, um, looking at the whole business holistically and knowing that there's improvements they can make. And as they add folks, those, you know, new talent, that new talent's going to make those improvements as well. But um, those are probably the key attributes I look at. Those are great. Yeah, I, I definitely think there's different types of uh, great CEOs. Um, they can have strengths in different fields. You know, there's the sales strong, like strength of a CEO, or there's CEOs that are great in finance or operations. So there's, there's definitely a variety product as well. What are some red flags you've looked for when hiring? Is there anything specific that you've noticed in your journey of hiring that you're like, "Mm, that's probably not a good sign? Or, you know, is there anything you can share in terms of advice for hiring a good team? Yeah, yeah. don't hire someone who lies. (laughs) Well, how do you know if they're lying? (laughs) I know. Well, you know what? That's where you bring in lie detector test. Yeah, lie detector. (laughs) No, it's so funny. Um, Like, seriously, I'm not kidding you. People, they lie in their interviews, they make up stories. And it's just, you know, I'm not smart enough to remember lies. So I don't lie, you know, and it's like, or not, I don't have a good enough memory to remember everything I said. But some people will do that. And I think what you do is you you can rely on your team. So um, bring multiple people into the interview, bring your leadership team, include them. Uh, If you're especially if you're hiring for a key role, it's going to affect them anyways and get their opinions. Sometimes you're going to have somebody at, at your team who's like a really, really good people person. So think about it. Is that, you know, who at the company reads people really well? And um, the way you can tell, and, and I know this sounds bad, but I'm serious. If somebody lies, they're not going to be, you know, a good character. You're, you're not going to want someone like that at your company. And um, they're, they're, how you can tell is sometimes people will tell stories in an interview and it's easy to fact check those stories. Um, so that's that. But I think, you know, mainly when we're interviewing someone, you're focused on bringing somebody with, you know, um, humble, hungry, smart is kind of like the three words I go after. And I think that was, uh, I forget the name of the book that uh, I think it was called the ideal team player. There's a book called the ideal team player that goes in about how to hire the right person. And so those are the attributes um, that we try to hire for. That's awesome. That's really helpful. Um, Before we kind of sign off here, I'm curious, just two questions. 
What advice do you have? I know you've already shared lots of advice, um, but do you have anything you'd like to leave the audience with in terms of, you know, advice for aspiring entrepreneurs? Yeah, well, I'd say like, especially now, you know, like if, if you're just looking on the media, there's a big push towards change. Mm-hmm. And everybody's talking about, you know, how we can make change in the world, change in diversity and all of these different aspects. And I truly believe being an entrepreneur is a great place where young people should be looking because you can make a lot of change as an entrepreneur. So I think, um, you know, the, the same people that are, that are wanting to make change and just speaking to the younger generation, you're going to have way more effect if you own your, if you're owning the business versus making change within the business you're in. So if you can, um, everybody, I'd encourage everybody to at least, you know, aspire to be an entrepreneur or look at it or find a mentor. So advice would be number one, find a mentor, find somebody, ask some questions, challenge yourself, say, is there something I'm really passionate about? Um, am I really going to invest enough in myself to do that? And then the other items is, is, probably do more and read less. Like right now is, it's kind of a content generation. You know, we're all um, consuming content on our phones, on YouTube, all of these different um, mediums. But honestly, that's not, um, in a lot of ways, it's not helping us as much as we may think it's helping us. So what I mean by that is, when you start your day, think about what you're going to create instead of what you're going to consume. So create something before you start consuming all of this information that honestly, isn't going to be helping you a lot. And if you do those things, you know, maybe you'll get the the bug and get into entrepreneurship. That's great. And in terms of newer, what's next? I know that you guys have been doing great. What's and you mentioned, you know, um, coming out with some new exciting products, but is there anything you can share for your grand vision of uh, new air? What's coming up? Yeah, no, I'm continue to add some, um, great folks to the team. So we're doing that now. And then in addition, focusing on the product, we're a product company. So it's, um, it, it, when you're smaller entrepreneur, you know, you're, you have to make every, you have to get everything working. Right. And now, you know, we're a little bit, um, you know, like I said, we've, we've graduated out of adolescence. So now the systems are amazing. And so now we're focused on products. So we are, we have a great product roadmap. Um, it's really diversified. I've uh, got some cool licensing deals that we're working on. So lots of fun stuff. Nice. That sounds awesome. I can't wait to see it all come out. Um, Thanks so much, Luke. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you, Lee. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review, and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.